Welcome to the Bruce Bright Breakdown. My name is Dr. Bruce Bright. I'm a Marine fighter pilot, retired, did uh, 28 years in the Marine Corps. Following that, went to school, got my doctorate in psychology, and now a coach. What we're going to do on the Bruce Bright Breakdown is we're going to break down each guest as they bring in their topic. So we're going to get to the Bruce Bright Breakdown each and every week. I hope you join us. It's going to be fun, exciting, informative, and I think you'll love it. So join us right here on the Bruce Bright Breakdown. All right, gents, welcome to the Bruce Bright Breakdown. Today we have David Trombley with us. He's a retired fighter pilot, current instructor pilot, a chaplain, and an all-around good guy that fights for what's right. So, David, welcome. Thanks for your time today. It's an honor to be here. Not so uh, it's a pleasure to serve with you over the years, and it's a pleasure to continue to fight for moving forward with you. Yeah, so it's fair for the audience to know that we were fighter pilots together. We flew in the Marine Corps. We flew F-18s. And we use call signs. So David was T-Bone and I'm not so. And we go back a long way. So we're going to tell a story today that's really unbelievable. It's a story of perseverance. And when you hear this young man's story, you're going to be floored. So I'm going to ask him to start at the beginning. Let's go back to about when you were a lieutenant and tell us what happened. So going back to the uh, the beginning of this story, I had just actually just uh Hit the fleet. Actually promoted to uh, captain not too uh, not too long prior to uh, the diagnosis. But I had been serving with uh, Dr. Bright with Natso in uh, 115 in the Silver Eagles out of Beaufort, South Carolina. That would have been back in uh, 99 time frame. We got a chance to deploy overseas together. And coming back from that first deployment, uh, we got to see some great things over there. A little Australia, a little Korea, a little Japan. Came back in nine months after my return back to the States and six months after my fourth child was born, my daughter, Grace Ann, I was diagnosed with a rare bone cancer. Uh, I was told that I had lymphoma, not that it was a rare bone lymphoma, but I was told that I had lymphoma. And uh, as you can imagine, the military flying career abruptly ended. I mean, it just, it was, it was done. One day you're flying F-18s, the next day you're, you're grounded. You, you're diagnosed with cancer, and, uh, and that's that. And that started a whole new How journey. Old were you? I was 31 at the time. I just, been, uh, I just turned 31 um, about three weeks before I felt the, the, the toothache, before I felt the, uh, the pain in the jawbone. I had turned 31, and about 10 days after I initiated the, uh, the questions to medical, I had surgery to remove what they thought was a periodontal cyst. Just going to dental. It wasn't a cancer surgery. It was just a dental surgery. And I'm like, ah, oh, it's nothing. Just a little, little nothing. So they opened me up, kind of filleted the gum line back and took out this tiny little tumor that was really no bigger than the tip of my pinky. Gave me three stitches and said, you'll be flying tomorrow. And sure enough, I flew the next day. And 13 days later, I got a phone call from the, uh, the oral surgeon at uh, Paris Island in South Carolina. He says, Captain, I need you to come to my office. I got some information for you. And at the time, I had asked him the question when he pulled it out of my jawbone. I said, is this a significant occurrence? Do I need to be worried about this? He goes, 99 times out of 100, it's just a periodontal cyst. Don't sweat it. But if it's something bad, we'll know inside of two weeks. If it's nothing, then uh, you'll get a letter from Bethesda in about three months. Well, it had been 13 days, and I get the phone call from the doc, and I knew that day that uh, something significant was up. So I went into... Uh, I went to Paris Island and I met with the doctor and he, uh, he gave me the news. He says, you've got lymphoma and there's non-Hodgkin's, there's Hodgkin's. You've got the non-Hodgkin's, which is the worst of the two. 
and uh, we need to get you out of here and into an army hospital down the road. So when he asked and said, we want to get you to an army hospital right over the border, I said, uh, Doc, I'd rather have a Navy doctor being Department of the Navy. Can I get to Bethesda? Bethesda, Maryland, that's that's where, you know, the best doctors are. If the president or the congressman or a senator gets cancer, they're going to Bethesda, the National Naval Medical Center. And he said, boy, that's going to be tough. But I said, well, give it a shot, Doc. I'd really like to go there instead of going to the local Army hospital down the road. And um, he worked it out, you know, got open that door and, and we did that. But as I was walking out of his office, he handed me my medical record. He shook my hands. And this is a Navy captain, so obviously much more you know, significant rank compared to me as a young Marine captain. And he says, I'm really sorry. He hands me the record and I reach over and grab his hand. And as I'm shaking his hand, I'm squeezing about as hard as you can without being disrespectful to an 06 as a young 03. And I said, Doc, I'm not dead yet. And I looked him straight in the eye. He looked, he looked me in the eye and I said, Doc, I'm not dead yet. I said, a strong will to win is second only to a deep faith in God. I've got both. I'm not only going to beat this disease, but I will fly again. And I released his hand and he tapped me on the shoulder. He gave me that little pat on the shoulder and said, hey, you know, positive attitude's a good thing. And I left his office. As I walked out of his office and got to the parking lot, there was nobody there. I mean, it was the end of the day. Everybody was gone. And as I'm leaning against my car, fiddling with my keys to open the door, I lose all strength from the waist down. I'm literally leaning against the car, holding myself up as I realize in that moment the words that I was sharing with this older doctor weren't for the older doctor. It wasn't young T-Bone encouraging the old doc. I believe it was God himself, the Holy Spirit of God, giving me a word saying, those words were for you. You're going to beat this disease and you are going to fly again. And I was able to take that message home to my wife. Hey, honey, here's the bad news. I got lymphoma, uh, a Hodgkin's of, of some kind or a non-Hodgkin's, some kind of lymphoma. But here's the good news. I believe God showed up and said, I would beat the disease and I will fly again. And we never looked back. And that was the beginning of the story way back at 31 years old, 22 years ago. Yeah. So I, I want everybody to, to kind of capture the enormity of what's happening here. You got, a, you got a young captain, 31 years old, gets a phone call from a dentist, which is really odd for any fighter pilot because, you know, dentists don't call you. Goes over to Paris Island, which is a 10-minute drive from the, from the fighter base. And is basically told, you're a dead man. You know, I'm sorry. Pat you on the back. It's just bad news. And y'all, I want everybody to realize, so this is the first time that T-Bone told the 06 he's wrong. That there's a different plan, and he's going he's gonna to follow that plan. And you're going to hear as we go down the road here, there's a whole bunch of Navy captains that were very unhappy with the young T-Bone not following their instruction. The one thing to keep in mind, though, those captains in the Navy, they weren't diagnosed. The man that has the cancer in his face is the one that's strong and making all of the decisions. So let's continue on now. So everybody knows now he's been told that he's, it's a death warrant. Yep. So this non-Hodgkins is extremely dangerous. And the first doctor there in Paris Island kind of patted him and said goodbye. Okay. So you went home, you told your wife, and now what are we going to do? Well, now, now we had to leave and get out of Beaufort, and we had to get up to uh, Bethesda. So uh, the, doc did, uh, the doc did pull off um, a miracle. God opened some doors for us, and Doc uh, you know, flexed a little bit of muscle, and he got me into Bethesda. So I had to be up there in about four days. Who do you think really got you into Bethesda? Well, we, we know it was God. Yeah. 
We know it was God. Okay. But I will, as, as we go through this, uh, Natsu, you know, I will always give what military leaders rate credit and the good leadership sure. that we experience. Sure. I'll, I will give credit where credit's due. And sometimes I'll, I'll go overboard and maybe give more credit than I should. But, and there's a reason we need to do that. We got to give credit where good leadership exists because it's such a rarity today. But once I told Megan, we packed everything up. I talked to the skipper the next morning. We were on the road. And uh, fast forward a couple of days, we're sitting in Boston. That's where I'm originally from. And at that point, I needed to tell my children. My oldest son was eight. My Brianna that you just saw over the shoulder doing the mic check, she was uh, six years old at the time. And then I had a two and a half year old and a six month old. So now it was time, not only did Megan know, now we had to tell our children, dad's got cancer. Sit him at a picnic table up in Boston, my sister-in-law's house. And I said, guys, you know how Gamma and Papa both had cancer a little over a year ago? And they're little kids. I mean, we're talking little ones. Yeah, they're babies. And I said, well, you know, God healed Gamma and Papa. You know, dad had bladder surgery, took his bladder out, no chemo radiation, took, did the surgery, and he did great for 17 years. Mom had a small little surgery and some radiation and did great for 10 years, did it again, and then was good for another five years. My mom beat breast cancer twice. But in that moment, they'd only been cancer-free for about a little over a year. And I said, hey, you know how Gamma and Papa beat cancer? And they're like, yes. I said, well, dad's got cancer now, and I have to go see a doctor. So mom and I are going to leave. We're going to take your little baby sister, Grace. We're going to go down to D.C., and you're going to enjoy the next couple of weeks with your aunt and uncle. You're going to have a great time. There's no homeschooling. There's no, nothing. You just bounce on the trampoline, enjoy the fire, uh, you know, play in the leaves. It's October. You guys have a good time, but can you do one thing for dad? And of course, you know, you ask your kids to do something, they're going to say yes, especially if you promise them ice cream. So I said, here's what I want you to do. Memorize 2 Timothy 1.7. Just memorize this one Bible verse while dad's gone and you just enjoy your, your, your aunt and uncle. And I said, 2 Timothy 1.7 says, for God has not given us a spirit of fear, but power, love, and a sound mind. So you guys memorize that and mom and I are going to go down. We're going to talk to the doctors. There's nothing to be afraid of. God's got this. And that was that. And we left. And we came back 10 days later. And when we did, my two and a half year old, my son Bradley, he comes up and he's tugging on my pants. He's just tugging away. You know, I'm trying to pull the suitcase out. We just got back. He got to tell hours. you something. Yeah, he's, he's, got, he's got something he wants to say. And I, he's tugging away. And I'm just trying to get the stuff out of the back, out of the trunk after a, you know, 10 and a half hour drive. And he goes, Dad, Dad, Dad. And again, you got to understand my Brad, he had a little bit of a lisp because he had this little little birth defect when he was born. And so when he's excited, when he cries or he laughs, this happens. So he goes, dad, dad, dad. He goes, dad. And I go, yes, son. He goes, call God and not giving it to people to fear, but a power and a wub and a town mind. Awesome. And in that moment, doc, I bawled my eyes out at that point. Like I cried twice during this cancer fight. And that was one of them. In that moment, I was just Mm -hmm. overwhelmed with awe. Not only because that was a cute little moment with my son, but because it was like God saying, you remember the first day I told you you're going to beat this and you're going to fly again and you knew I was there for you? I'm here for your kids too. I'm going to be here for your whole family. And that just was one of the most comforting things because I'm sure as we're going to talk moving forward here, the previous 10 days were hell going through the staging process and learning everything that they had to say. So if I can back up 10 days, I'll tell you that that experience in Bethesda was a really rough ride. Well, wait a minute. Was it a rough ride for you or for those for those captains, those those doctors? For both of us, for all of us, it was a rough okay. ride. Um, what happened was they they welcomed me in, and on that first day, and I believe I shared the story with you that when I first rolled in there, 
Megan and I walked down the hallway of the oncology department. So lymphoma being hemonc related, we're in the hemonc oncology department. We walked down the hallway. I, I'm telling you, I really believe we went into the last room. I, you know, it's, it's a long time ago, but I'm convinced we walked that long hallway. It just seemed to go on forever. It was like, uh, you know, Maxwell smart from get smart. You know, you just keep walking and walking and walking. Mm -hmm. And as I am, I'm looking into each room and I look into that room and I look into that room as I walk and I just see people that are just look like they're on death's door. And as I get to the end of the hallway and I walk into the room and we had this uh, female uh, attending or nurse or somebody said, okay, he, uh, Captain Trombley, this is your room and this is your closet. Over here is, uh, that's where the toilet is and your shower. This is a chair, a little desk light. If you need something, push this call button. Here's your bed. And when she said, here's your bed, I said, thank you. I won't be needing that. Now, I didn't rehearse this. This, this wasn't planned. This just came out. It just spontaneously. I was like, thank you, ma'am. I won't be needing that. And she looked at me funny. And she's like, sir, you're here for the next two weeks. That's your bed. And I go, yeah, I won't be needing that. And I said, my wife and daughter are going to be over at the Fisher house across the way. I have every intention of sleeping over there in bed with my wife over there. I just walked down your hallway. I saw everybody that's dying. That's not me. I'm not that sick. If you need me here at 4 a.m., I'll be here at 4 a.m. And you need me here till midnight, I'll be here till midnight. But at the end of the day, I'm walking across the way. I'm going to sleep with my wife. And she walked away. And I thought that was the end of it until a few minutes later, Captain walks in, another Navy 06. And he goes, hello, Captain. When an 06 Captain tells a Marine Captain, hello, Captain, by rank, you got to figure he must be a little perturbed. And he goes, is there a problem? And I realized I was talking probably the director of the program here. And I said, Doc, there's no problem. I'm just not that sick. And I have every intention of sleeping with my wife. I'm going to beat this disease and I don't need that bed to do it. But if you need me here at 4 a.m. to roll up my sleeve, I'm all yours, sir. You just tell me where to be and I'll be in my appointed place of duty. And he didn't push back too hard. He looked over at the, uh, the attending that was with him and he goes, We'll make that so. Not a problem. Captain's going to be fine. He walked out. I didn't see him for like three days. I saw all of his underlings and I saw yeah. him around day four. So let me make note here. This is, look, look, let's make sure everybody understands what's happening. You got, you got this fairly junior Marine captain talking to a, ca a captain in the Navy, which is one rank below being an admiral, which is a general officer. This is the second captain he's told no, right? Which is not, this is not normal. Normally, if a captain or an 06 tells an 03 to do something, the O3 does what he's told, right? But in this case, I believe at hindsight being 2020, T-Bone's being guided by God and God didn't want him in that bed because it literally that's death row. And so he, so he chose, he said, oh, I'm going back over there, my wife and daughter, and I'll come over here and y'all can do your thing on me every day. So everybody just keep in mind, this is a, this is a big damn deal for a young captain to be telling these captains in the Navy what he's going to do and what he's not going to do. And you'll see it gets rougher as we go. All right, my friend, so you decide you're going to go back over and sleep with your wife and daughter and eat with them, and now what happens? I do, and so, um, and they afforded me that opportunity, and I, I, was, I was glad to have that uh, opportunity. So over the next number of days, over the next six, seven days, I do everything from a bone marrow biopsy to a bone scan to a gallium scan to a PET scan, a CT scan, an MRI. I mean, I'm almost having to take my boots off and start counting with my toes every different test and blood workup you could do. The good news was this, and they came in and they, they worded it this way. Not so the intern that I had that I was working with in the oncology department was a former A6BN. He was an NFO from the A6 community. 
he rolls in and great guy. And we had a wonderful report, aviator to aviator. And he says, T-Bone, I got good news and bad news. And he says, here's the good news. We've done every scan over the last week. We can't find cancer anywhere but that first tumor. There's some bad news that goes with it. And the bad news is this. Because your non-Hodgkin's lymphoma started in the bone, as opposed to the soft tissue and then working its way to the bone, you are now reclassified as somebody who has a primary lymphoma of bone. And I'm like, okay, well, what does that mean? He goes, well, you went from having a 70% cure rate with chemo and radiation to a 20%. And of course, you know, aviators and having a little bit of a sense of humor, I look at him, okay, so doc, you're saying I got hope, right? And we're having this fairly serious conversation, but with a decent amount of candor and even, you know, humor. But then I asked him, I said, Doc, could you do me a favor? And I used this call sign at the time. And I said, could you do me a favor? You're saying that it's a 20% chance. Now, I'm no doctor. You are. But you and I have both read TAC manuals. We've read the classified stuff and the unclassified stuff. We know how to read books and we know how to like break this stuff down. Will you show me the studies where guys have been successful doing what you're recommending? And he says, sure. Yeah, let me look for it. Well, you got to go forward now like two, three more days before I see him again with that information. And guess who's with him? That first captain. The, the big doc. The big doc. And the big doc rolls in and he says, here's what we got for you. And he says, there's a study out of John Hopkins. There's a study out of the National uh, Cancer Institute, NCI, which is really right there in Bethesda. It says, if you put these two together, you got 50 people. And I said, I'll, I'll, let me look at it. Now in there, it doesn't say Dave Trombley. It doesn't say Bruce Bright. You know, it doesn't have people's names. It says white male, whatever, Anglo-Saxon, Caucasian, you know, African-American. It says ages, female, male, actively fighting, deceased, or in remission. There's very little detail, but there's enough detail to see that out of 50 people, most most were deceased. The rest were all still fighting the disease, except for a handful that were either showing no sign of cancer for a few months out to a year, but not one person had hit five years. And when you are going through this fight, you're the cancer warrior, or you're the person dealing with a heart issue, or you're the person dealing with diabetes, and you take ownership of your disease. Like you're like, hey, this is my problem, and I'm gonna become the expert on it. I'm gonna figure this out, and we're gonna get in there and be in the driver's seat. As you do that, you learn some stuff. And one of the things that I learned was this, success with chemo, radiation, and surgery requires a five-year remission rate. Not one person had hit five years. So that means it was a 0% success rate, not a 20%. So I looked at the younger doctor and I said, you gave me 20. I said, correct me if I'm wrong, but these numbers are zero. And then I stopped talking to him and I looked back at the captain, I go, zero. So I would be the first one to be successful if I made it to five years, am I correct? And he responded slowly. I mean, he looked at the floor again, waited, and then finally said, that's correct. And at that point, I said, I would like a second opinion. I'd like to do it with civilian doctors in Boston because that's where I'm from. I know of the Dana-Farber Cancer Institute. I grew up knowing about the Jimmy Fund and the Boston Red Sox. And I've donated money to that when I was young, married. I want to go there and get a second opinion. And that was the end of the conversation. And we left. And the military afforded me an extension in my orders to go get a second opinion with civilian doctors. That's what I call medical freedom. That's what I call informed consent. That's what I call good leadership. They allowed me to get exactly what I asked for, and that was time to make a decision. And they gave it to me. And I went to Boston, and you can imagine what the doctors up there said. They said, they're right. 
you've got less than two years to live and we don't agree with how they want to do it. Instead of surgery, radiation, and chemo, we want to do no surgery, no radiation, double chemo. And I'm like, okay, double chemo. Well, double chemo is going to kill me because I got this little condition with my liver. And you remember me in the fleet. I, I didn't drink in the fleet. I wasn't that guy. I was the guy who drove all the Marines, brought them home safe at night. I'll talk about that in a minute. I was that guy. Well, there was part of like is because of my faith and I didn't want to drink, but there's also I got a condition where my liver filters stuff out about 10% slower than everybody else. It's called Guibert's disease, all right? And so that little syndrome means my eyes stay yellow and if I drink, I'm going to have a hangover longer than everybody else. So, I just don't. Well, I told that to the doctors like, "Ooh, that's bad. Yeah, we can't do twice the chemo. We have to do half the chemo for four times as long." And when they started doing well, that, be fun. I'm like, you guys are guessing, like, which way is the wind blowing? At that point, my wife and I, now you got to figure we are three weeks into the fight. And that was the point where we realized and we had lost complete peace in the whole conventional concept. And we said, we're not doing chemo radiation surgery. We're not going down this path. There has been no success. If I got two years to live, I'm going to take the first year to figure out a plan and the second year to execute. Well, as you, as you know, and you know my story, it didn't take a year. It took about three months to come up with the plan and figure out everything that we did that we documented in this book, from the raw diet to the water to you name it, to the enzymes, to the trip to Switzerland. It took three months to come up with a plan and then we stepped in and executed it and we moved forward from there. Yeah, so let me back up on the no drinking thing as a you know young leader in the Marine Corps. I had a whole bunch of captains that worked for me. One of them was T-Bone. And I can remember clearly when the captains were going to go out and party after work, I usually had one question. And the question was, is T-Bone going? <laughs> because if he was in the group, the group didn't get in trouble. A designated driver, a non-drinker at the party, a guy that's really level-headed, a leader in the group. So it just, it made my, it made my leadership world so easy. If I found out he wasn't going, I'd call him and say, go with him. Please go with him. Stop what you're doing and go with them. So you're going to find out that these decisions that came from T-Bone, these are the same kind of decisions he made as a Marine officer, only the decisions he's making now is for his life. So for those of I mean, as you listen to the story, remember, everybody that's talking to David is just saying, I'm sorry. Now, you're, you're a dead man. You're, you're a walking dead man. But he and his young wife said, I don't think so. And they went down this holistic path and everybody in the medical community said he was crazy. He said, you're killing yourself. I, I remember a phone call where he said, yeah, I just had all my fillings removed, all my metal, all the metal taken out of my head. That's how, that's how strict this guy went with his holistic medicine. He went to Switzerland, did heat treatments and all the holistic stuff there. His wife, bless her heart, put him on an unbelievable diet. Think organic and that sort of thing. But somebody got the last laugh because this is 22 years ago. Okay, so you go to Switzerland, you do the treatment, you come back. Now what? Well, and, and yeah, I just want to say this about Megan. So my wife, Megan, um, was very much open-minded in this whole holistic approach. In fact, going to Bethesda for 10 days and then going to get a second opinion in Boston in that three-week period, I'm sitting there anticipating that I'm going to do what I'm told, chemo, radiation, and surgery, until I'm told it's not going to work. And the entire time I'm doing that, Megan is not only listening to the doctor's talk, but she's also got all of her books. And there's a story here in this one book about a guy who beat cancer, colon cancer, and he did colon hydrotherapy. And then there's this other story about a guy who had leukemia and he beat it on carrot juice. 
And so she's got these stories and she's told me these stories in the past. We'd be on a trip, we'd be on vacation, I'd be on leave and she'd be like, hey, this is an amazing story. Dr. So-and-so cured his own cancer doing carrot juice. And that's like four years removed from, from this in the past. And I'm like, right. uh, and I'm just driving along, you know, like I'm thinking about airplanes and thinking oh, I'm an invincible Marine. I'm like, uh-huh, honey, that's nice. You know, and I'm just driving. Well, now they tell me you got two years to live and no one else has beat it. And suddenly I'm looking over at Megan. I'm going, tell me about that. The farmer. That carrot juice? Yeah, tell me about the farmer who, who took the garden hose and did that colon irrigation and basically cleaned out his pipes and beat colon cancer. And he's still alive 20 years later. I want that story. And, and she had it all. In fact, we're reading these stories in Bethesda while I'm going through the tests. And that's one of the reasons why we started to buck heads with the doctors there is they saw these books and we started asking questions. See, we were naive. I'm young. I'm 31. All right. Megan's 29. We've got four kids. We've got some life experience. But as far as medical, we're naive. What's her background? What's what's Megan's background? Like academics or what? So Megan's Megan's background, Megan was a, um, she was getting a business degree in college. And then we got married. We had our first one, like a couple months after we got married, uh, surprise, you're pregnant. So we had our first one, um, like the month after our, our anniversary, Megan went into full-time being a mom. And our, one of our children got vax injured from day one and ended up in Boston's Children's Hospital in and out for an entire year with juvenile hepatitis. Another one of our children was told, hey, you've got to have your adenoids and your tonsils out at two years old. And my wife's like, no, that's not right. We're not going to do that. And so Megan was four years into, if not five, this whole mindset of holistic, working with naturopaths, working with homeopathic doctors when I got diagnosed. So I'm the guy having the cheeseburgers and the Cokes between flights and eating Snickers bars on the busy days when you don't have time for a cheeseburger. And Megan's raising these kids right, healthy. So when I got diagnosed, she's like, you should look at this. And so we did. And that's really what drove the cheeseburgers. Yeah, the cheeseburgers were out. Yeah. So let me let me explain something here. You've got a young captain and a 29 year old spouse that is not a physician telling the best doctors in the world. I mean, Bethesda, you can look it up. Bethesda is where that's where the rock stars go. And T-Bone is talking to the to the senior guys. These guys are Navy captains. And so you've got this young couple that has told this whole staff of really senior surgeons, physicians, uh, we ain't doing that. We're going to drink some carrot juice and cure everything. So you can see where these Navy captains thought he'd lost his mind. But what they didn't know is he's got God on his side, and he's got second to that is his wife. And so this young team, you know, locked arms and said, we're going to beat this and this is the way we're going to do it. And uh, I'm talking to him. So you already figured out that he beat it. Okay, so continue the story. So, yeah, you're going to love this. So I I got I'm just waiting to see the smile on your face as I share the story. So before I went to Switzerland, because I know we've got some things, some powerful things to tell you about that. You got to go from the time I left left Beaufort and went to Bethesda, got my second opinion. That's all in about three weeks. We then never went back to Bethesda. We went and Megan and I did a ton of research. It it seemed like between the two of us, we were working on a master's degree in three months. Megan opened so many doors and God just brought so many people to us. And we were able to come up with this battle plan. 
So you got to figure we're three months in and I'm just now putting a whole house filter on the home, going on the raw diet the next day, a couple days after that, starting injectables that liquefy the lymphatic system, all of that stuff documented in the book, the enzyme therapy, the high dose of vitamin C, each one of those stories has its own chapter in the book. So all this stuff is happening. Now you got to go and fast forward about five months. Now I'm five months, six months into actually doing the fight and I'm driving up. Remember you said I called you about, hey, just have my metal fillings out. I'm driving to Boston to get those metal fillings out. As I'm driving up the interstate, up 95, you look to your right and there's the sign for Quantico, right? The crossroads of the Marine Corps. I see the sign for Quantico. You go a little bit further, there's the second sign for Quantico. And suddenly the Marine inside of me just wells up with pride. All right, we're all singing the Marine Corps hymn. But then you get another hour up the road and there's the sign for Bethesda. And at that moment, I make a critical decision. Now, I'm not going to say it was a bad one. I'm just going to say it was foolhardy because God can, God can take out of our arrogance and do really good things with that. And here's what happened. I don't ask my wife. Big mistake. I put the blinker on. I turn off and I'm going into Bethesda. It's a Friday afternoon. It's like one in the afternoon. Meg's like, what are you doing? I'm like, I'm going to Bethesda. And we got four kids in the car. I got all my medical records. And I'm on my way to Boston to go get my metal fillings taken out because we believe that metal fillings are a causal factor for lymphomas because of the mercury amalgam. And I'm like, I want to go tell Bethesda what I'm about to do. And I want to show them my last scan because that scan was pretty good. And she's like, I think this is a mistake. And I'm like, yeah, you know what? We're winning and they should know about it. And I guess a little bit of that fighter pilot arrogance, especially after seeing Quantico go by the last two exits, you know, previously, I'm like, I'm going. So we pull in, we grab all the kids, we walk right into the Hemoc department. We knew the lay of the land. I was unannounced, no appointment, and I roll in and they see me. And this is the same group of people they've been, that have been calling me weekly for six months going, you need to come up here and do chemo. You need to come up here and do chemo. And we just kept saying, no, thank you. I'll call you if I need you. Well, here I walk in on a Friday afternoon and the attending, the captain, the 06, he shows up and he goes, you're going upstairs to go get a scan. You're going to go see the ENT. And uh, I'll take your wife and kids and we'll set them up over here. And we're going to have a meeting with a couple of doctors. And I'm like, great, I got some news for you. I give him my scans. I go upstairs. I meet with the ENT for a moment. He looks at everything, says, yeah, I don't see anything. He sends me back downstairs. And you're going to love this not so. Megan and I walk down the hallway. The kids sit in a little, uh, a little room watching TV with, you know, somebody sitting at the counter and a handful of other patients. And we disappear for the better part of an hour. As we're walking down the hallway, I'm walking with my wife. We're holding the baby, right? Our, our daughter, Grace Ann. And I hear the 06 tell one of the 05s. He's had two commanders with him. And I'd never met these guys before. And he looks over, he goes, I've seen the scan and it's impressive. And I look at Megan and I smile and I go, not realizing that in the medical community, impressive is a bad word, Right. So I'm thinking this is good news. And I'm like, impressive, right? We're already winning and we're not even in the room yet. We walk into this room. He's thinking you're going to be in a medical journal. Yeah, I'm thinking, but I'm thinking, you know, I'm going to be on the front page of like, you know, he'd be cancer his way. And he's like thinking something completely different. So we walk in, we sit down, the doc sits down, the other two docs sit down and we go one V three the hard way. All right. And I say one because Megan sat there. Our daughter fell asleep and literally Megan held her and just listened as each of these three doctors explained that 
We can't understand why the cancer has not spread through the rest of your body because I brought my scans with me. We can't explain that. And I wanted to say, I can, but I couldn't get a word in edgewise. And I say, but what we, we can tell you is this, you're losing. You're definitely losing this battle. And in the next 30 days, that tumor, which is bigger now than it was before, is going to be in your right eye, or you're not going to have a nose, or it's going to go all the way up into your brain. And there's no coming back after that 30 days. These are the same guys that almost a year ago said I had two years to live, and yet it hasn't spread throughout my body yet because I've been doing all this natural stuff. Wait, at this point, was the tumor getting bigger in your jaw? According to the scan, the original tumor was one size. Okay, so first, let, let me back it up. In October of 2000, they diagnosed me with a cancer because they said what they took out of my jaw was a malignant neoplasm, a lymphoma. That tumor then grew back because I never... I never did chemo radiation. As that grew back over October, November, December, January, we did a scan in January and that tumor was say this big, all right? It's not that big, I'm just giving you an example. The size of a dime, all right? Not, not that big, but we'll call it a dime. When you go forward, February, March, April, May, and we do the next scan, now instead of a dime, it's the size of a quarter, okay? Again, those aren't their actual sizes, but just, just giving you a perspective. Yeah, a little bigger. The doctor said, you're losing. And I said, doc, see, respectfully, I disagree. You're only looking at a scan from January and May. What you're missing is everything that happened between January and May. And I know because I did this every single day, I could feel and I felt it get bigger, 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 bigger. And then I felt it getting smaller, smaller, smaller. And then we took the scan in May. So I took a whiteboard and I was thrilled because I was able to look around. There's a whiteboard. I grab a marker and suddenly I'm in a I'm fighter pilot mode again. All right. I've got red and blue pens. I got, we got the good guy, we got the bad guy, and I'm getting ready to draw the fight. And I go, Doc, it's like this. And I draw a circle, and then I draw another circle, and I draw a straight line. I said, two spots, these two only make a straight line. They don't show a trend. I said, what we need to do is 30 days from now, come in here, and I think you're going to see that it's here. And if I'm wrong and it's here, then we break glass in case of emergency. I do your chemo, we move on. And he says, we don't do scans every 30 days. You're not going to get that paid for we're not going to do it. And I said, well, I guess that's the end of the conversation because I know I'm winning and it's time for us to walk out. And here's what they encouraged me to do as I was looking to leave. They said, it's Friday afternoon. Tomorrow is Saturday morning. We believe so strongly in this. We'll come to work on a Saturday and we want you to come in and do the chemo. And if I can't get anyone to come in, I'll come in and give it to you myself. This is the 06 telling me he'll come in and do it himself. We walk out of that office. I thank him, but I say respectfully, that's not going to happen, sir. And we're going to go ahead and leave. And as we walk down the hallway, our three children are sitting in that room all by themselves. The lights are out. The TV's off. There's nobody in there. And we're like, our kids are alone. We pack up our kids. We walk to the car. As we walk to the car, it's absolute silence. It's like the children just knew something wasn't right. And mom and dad weren't talking. And you know what I was thinking, Bruce? I, and I know you know because you've been through tough things in your life. You fight the good fight. You stand strong. You give everything you got. But as you walk away from the fight, bloodied and battled, you think to yourself, what if they're right? What if they're right? Because now you got to think to yourself, yeah. I believe this so strongly that I'm willing to die for it. I'm on this faith walk. I'm going to go this direction. But what if they're right? Well, where does that come from, right? I already know from our kids and from speaking to my kids that God hasn't given us a spirit of fear. But when you take fear off the table, and fear, I think, is the nuclear option for the enemy, 
when the enemy comes at you, he comes at you with fear. But when fear is not something they can use, you have to use some lesser weaponry. And I believe that's doubt and indecision. And so now I'm walking away from this doctor's office. I'm going to my car. I'm thinking to myself, what if they're right? I didn't let on to that, but I am thinking it. I'm being honest. And I'm honest with any cancer warrior I ever talk to because doubt and indecision is a real thing. And we all battle it. But as I get in my car and now I'm in my weak place, I went from strength to complete weakness and I'm broken. And I'm like, am I doing this wrong? Am I being foolhardy? Is this the arrogance of me being a Marine having just driven past Quantico? What do I do next? And my son, Alex, my oldest son, the eight-year-old, he looks up at us and we're, we're, we're pulling out of the parking lot. No one said a word at this point. And Alex, who's a Marine captain now himself and a fighter pilot of his own, this little eight-year-old engages in the battle and he looks at me and says, Dad, Mom, while you were in with the doctors, I was reading my Bible. I was reading my Bible and you know, there's a lot of good verses in the Bible, but there's this really cool verse and he's saying it like an eight-year-old. It's Proverbs 19.2 and Proverbs 19.2 says, now get this, not so he's not looking at his Bible. He's looking at me in the rear view mirror and looking at his mom who's hanging on every word because Proverbs 19.2 says this, enthusiasm without knowledge is not good. If you rush to make a decision, you can make a mistake. Out of the mouth of babes. That's an eight-year-old. That's an eight-year-old who, by the way, at that point in time, now granted, he's flying Marine fighters today, but at eight years old, we were trying to homeschool and he it wasn't taking. He's a stubborn type A personality who didn't want to read. And when he started the conversation by saying, while you were in with the docs, I was reading my Bible. We were both like, when did you start reading? Because we've been trying to since you were five. And he goes, I'm reading my Bible. Yeah, he sounds like his dad. He's definitely a chip off the old block. And he goes, Proverbs 19.2, enthusiasm without knowledge is not good. Well, these doctors are incredibly enthusiastic. They were willing to come in on a Saturday to give me chemo. Without knowledge is not good. They had no knowledge of our faith walk or what we were doing with carrot juice and cleansing or any of what we were doing. Even the fact that I was going to Boston to get my fillings done. Enthusiasm without knowledge is not good. If you rush to make a decision, you can make a mistake. In that moment, Meg and I looked at each other and we realized once again, God. God was in the in the car. God was there yeah. with us. And God was saying, you're not going back tomorrow. They don't have a clue what you're doing. Trust me, stay on this faith walk and continue. And we did. And over the next 10 days, I'm getting my metal fillings out and I get a phone call from Switzerland. And that phone call from Switzerland was, hey, we've just had a cancellation if you can be here in 10 days, we're going to take you for an entire month and we're going to do all these therapies. I had only heard about him from the dentist that was pulling the metal fillings out. Again, one door that God opened leading to another door that God was opening. And we get to the end of that 10 day period up in Boston. The fillings are all now removed. The phone call comes in and the doc over in Switzerland says, hey, we'd like to have you. We had a cancellation. If you're willing to come over, we'll take you for 30 days. 10 days later, I'm in Switzerland for 30 days doing treatments. And I know I'm not going to give anything away, but I'll tell you, when I came back from that 30 days in Switzerland, nine days later, we did a CAT scan. There's absolutely zero sign of cancer. Go back and remember what the doc said in Bethesda. They said 30 days from now, it's going to be in your brain, or you're going to be blind in your right eye, or your nose is going to fall off. And yet here we are, 30 days of treatments in Switzerland, only 10 days after that meeting with Bethesda. And nine days back in the United States, so you round that up to like 50 days, 
and I'm completely cancer free. So only God knows. And that's what I try to tell any cancer warrior we ever work. So let me, let me jump in here, T-Bone, for a second. So the conversation where he said he went 1v3 the hard way, that's an airplane reference where three good guys are fighting a bad guy. And in any fight, if you're three against one, whether you're on the ground or in, in an airplane, the three, you want to be part of the three. And T-Bone was the one. And I'll, I'll make sure everybody understands, this is like the fifth time now that he's went 1v many with Navy captains and has told them the path that he is on and that he's going to stay on. And these Navy doctors, by the way, I'm not, you know, I'm not saying good or bad on them. But I can tell you since the COVID, which we'll talk about at the end, but since this COVID epidemic, I've lost a lot of faith in our current doctor core because they seem to be trained where they are robots. So this is where they're looking at data. They don't like the data. They don't appreciate being told that they don't know what they're talking about, and they don't. And now we're getting the first results that show that what David is doing is working. Okay, so you come back cancer-free. Now what? Yeah, so uh, we came back that nine days later, we got to do the CAT scan and uh, the results came back a couple of days later and they said, yeah, well, there's no sign of tumor in your actual maxillary sinus area or in that maxillary, uh, that maxilla, the right maxilla. And I said, great, so I'm cancer-free. And then, of course, they're like, well, okay, not so fast. We now have to do an MRI. So we have dual concurrence. So I'm like, okay. So it took another 30 days to get that information. And um, this is a, a really powerful moment and it's it's probably one of the more challenging portions for me to write when i was writing my book uh, not so i got that second test in early september of 2001 and i know you know where this is going and um the results didn't come back as quick as the ct scan so when i'm this is the only thing i'm waiting on to know that i'm cancer free after 11 months of fighting a disease this is all I need. And so every day I go into work and I'm waiting for a phone call from Pensacola and uh, Pensacola hospital. And I'm expecting them to say, Hey, the results are back. Your MRI is good. And everybody says you're cancer free press, right? Nope. Another day goes by a week goes by it's Monday. All right. It's the 10th of September. And I call into the doc and I'm like, Hey, is there any news? I'm like, no, we got no news yet. Okay. I'll, 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 I'll try to be patient. The next morning, is September 11th. The towers fall. The Pentagon is attacked. Todd Beamer and those heroes in that flight, uh, you know, sack the uh, the cockpit and save, you know, one of our other national institutions from being uh, attacked that day during that terrorist attack. The world stops turning on September 11th. Come to find out on September 10th, Bethesda did actually make a log entry into my medical record saying that I was cancer free. But I didn't find out about it. Not the 10th, certainly not the 11th, the 12th, the 13th go by. Why? Because the world stopped turning for all of us. Everything stopped. And we're just like trying to figure out what's going on. And as a nation, we all hit our knees, all of us. Whatever our faith was or no faith at all, we all hit our knees. And for the next three days, we prayed. We, we got our footing back. We had to figure out what just happened. It's like our head was spinning, like you just got tagged by a prize fighter in the ring and you got no business being in there and your head spinning. But then Friday morning came along and after the president and after a lot of religious leaders in the national cathedral had the, that time of prayer, I'm in the office and it's Friday morning 
And we're all standing up now, right? We're brushing off our knees. We've been praying for three days. And I get a phone call. And that phone call comes from my local doctor. One of the most amazing individuals I had in my fight, I had two doctors that were phenomenal. One was a civilian German doctor, and he's the one who put me on the path for all the alternative. The other one was a Navy commander at the Naval Hospital right here in Pensacola. He was family practice, not an oncologist, but he was a man of faith and a man of science, and he could put that together really well and balance that. And he was caring. He was nurturing. He was understanding. He told me, I will support you until I see a reason not to support you, and then I'm going to tell you to go do chemo. Well, he stayed with me on the first of every month. He was checking me out, doing his thing and supporting me, supporting me, supporting me. And he said, no, I think you're winning. I think you're on the path. Let's keep doing what you're doing. And he was the guy of all the people. He was the guy who called me and said, I got good news on 14 September on Friday and said, Bethesda said you're cancer free. It was actually on Monday. We just, we've been a little busy the last few days. He says, you are now cancer free. So give me goosebumps here 20 years later. And, and where's my mind? And you know, you got a phone call from me shortly after that because I knew you were screened for command. <clears throat> yeah, your mind is let's go flying. My mind's let's go flying. But if I took my shirt off right now, you would actually see muscle here. Okay, not as much as I used to have, but you'd see muscle. If I took my shirt off on that day, on the 14th of September, 2001, you would see the collarbone. And then you would see this rib followed by that one and then that one and then that one. I looked like a POW. I'd gone from 178 pounds to 140 during this cancer fight. I had wasted away, but not in a bad way. I had wasted away in the fact that my body used every resource to fight the disease, every carrot, every enzyme, every vitamin C, everything that I did, but my body used all of that to fight the disease. And now I'm cancer free, but looking like a POW. And I'm on the phone reaching out to previous squadrons and to you as a future squadron commander saying, I'm cancer free. I know we're going to go down range. There's somebody's ass that needs to be kicked. And I want to be on that team. And I started lobbying to be with you and, and, and with others. And of course, I just told you I beat cancer in 11 months. God miraculously healed me with all the stuff he provided us in the garden. And now what takes place in the second half of this book you know, from here on down, that's a whole nother fight. And that took two years because I had to fight the Navy system and say, this guy beat cancer with carrots and you won't let me fly. I don't get it. I'm cancer free. I'm not in remission. I'm completely cured. Put me in a cockpit. Let's go. My friends are going to war and I want to go with them. And it took two years, but eventually, and I believe this is the second miracle, God changed the heart's of men and women in serious leadership positions. And they eventually said yes, and I got reinstated to flying, but that took two whole years, twice as long as it took to beat cancer. Yeah, so when you when you got told you were cancer-free, when was that? That was on Friday, September 14th, All right? So Tuesday the 11th, the towers came down. What year? 2001, three days after the towers came down. Okay, yeah, so I'd been, so for the audience, I had been selected to be a commanding officer of an F-18 squadron, and I, I was moving to Iwakuni, Japan. In fact, I was there by the time we were talking about it, and T-Bone called me and said, I need a job. And I can tell you, I did everything I could, and my power was in 05, so I wasn't that powerful, but I was a commanding officer. And I called everybody I knew to get him and Megan and the children into Japan. The challenge for me was this. He was a major at the time. Were you a brand-new major? I was I was not a major yet. I would I would become a major in two years when I finally got to, back to flying. 
when you got back to flying. So what I had on my hands was a major that had been on the sideline because of cancer for a few years. So his hours suffered, you know, hours, hours of flying because, because he was, he was beating cancer. And that is the reason that headquarters Marine Corps wouldn't give him to me is just because of the, the few years of non-flying put him behind his peers in terms of qualifications and flying. But I could tell you, Karen and I both were batting as hard as we could to get them there. This is what I told headquarters Marine Corps. I told him, I don't give a fuck if he's got hours or not. I want him because of his leadership, because of his character. Yeah, I want him in my squadron just like I wanted him in my squadron as a young captain. Uh, because here's the deal. I can, I can make up for the hours and teach him and qualify him. I can, I can do that to any F-18 pilot. What I couldn't teach him is all that good leadership, character, moral, ethics, all the stuff that T-Bone brings to the table. That's, that's what he's good at. I mean, flying F-18s, I teach a monkey to do it. And there are guys that are really good at it when, when stick and throttle comes to. But having a guy that has the stick and throttle qualifications and the character, education, morals, ethics that T-Bone has, that's hard to find. So I, I told him, I'll, I'll deal with it. You, you let me deal with his shortness of hours. Just just give me this family. And, uh, and in the end, some general officer told me no. So, okay, so you're back. Now you're flying. Where did you go fly? Well, and, and first, I just got to, I want to be able to publicly say, I know you've received this thank you from me multiple times over the years, but thank you for, for having my back and, and wanting us and for advocating for us so much. In fact, I share that story about your invitation to join you in chapter 54 of my book. The title is Invitation to Fly, like the number two, because you had every desire to have me there, but headquarters Marine Corps just wasn't going to have it. But I also had another Marine Lieutenant Colonel right here in Pensacola who did invite me to fly. And I was able to fly the T-2 training Naval Flight Officers. That's the guys who sit in the back seat of our F-18s. And I got to do that for about eight months. And during that time, I, I got my first two or three flights under my belt. At the same time, I got back in the cockpit. I got promoted to major. The desire to come out there, you know, there you go. was was not going to happen. But um, but but you were fighting for me, go. and I just I speak highly of both the colonel that I ended up flying for and the colonel that had hoped to have me fly for him. And it just when you come out of a fight like we came out of as a family, and we had fought the medical system alone, it was basically like Megan, myself, and God. And that's a powerful ally. When you know you're on the right path and you have confidence and you have peace and you know you're on the path that God wants for you, you can do that alone. And you can do that without any support. When you come out of that and you're seeking that career, a future career, and you're like, I want to fly, it's kind of hard to have NAMI say no and have manpower Marine Corps say no and go, why are people saying no? I'm like, I don't, I'm not happy about that. But what I was thrilled with and what really meant the world to us and why I think we've become lifelong friends is you supported us in the fight. You support us after the fight. And to this day, you're still supporting our causes and what we do in our cancer support ministry and all that. So thank you uh, for being a friend. Thank you for being a phenomenal leader. Um, uh, I appreciate you. And I appreciate those who let me fly. It's, after e- it's, it's easy when it, when it comes to you and your family. Okay, guys, so here, let me, let me summarize the story. Young captain, flying F-18s, he's on top of the world. There's 15 F-18 squadrons with 18 pilots each. That's it, guys. That's how many F-18 pilots are in the Marine Corps. 
In this story of this family at 31 years old, this F-18 pilot got told that he's done, not only is he done flying, he's done living because of a cancer in his jaw. He goes holistic against all of the Navy medicine and he wins and he gets his flight status back. Now, T-Bone, you can answer this. How many people do you know that's got grounded because of cancer and then got reinstated as a pilot? There are a number of individuals who got diagnosed with cancer, fought it conventionally, and then got reinstated after being cancer-free for a couple of years. But there's nobody prior to my having fought it completely holistic and then got reinstated. So I'm the first Marine aviator to have beat cancer 100% natural and then get reinstated. So we had to break the mold and go past Bethesda, sorry, past uh, Pensacola's NAMI and go all the way to DC to BUMED, the Bureau of Medicine, and uh, go visit the Admiral's senior staff, which was again, five Navy captains and one Colonel. And those six individuals ultimately made a decision as to whether or not I would or would not fly. And again, God put it on their heart to reinstate me, despite the fact that I hadn't done anything that I was told to do, but they accepted the science that I was cancer free. And I have to give huge credit. I remember I told you there were two phenomenal doctors. One was military, one was civilian. The civilian doctor's name yep. is Dr. Schildvector. I talk all about him in my book. In fact, my book is loaded with names, the names of those who are on our team and supported us that I got permission. I, I, I mentioned them by name as I do you. And those who were not supportive, the antagonists in the story, I've obviously changed their names uh, or I just didn't get a chance to get their permission. So their names have been changed. Well, Dr. Schilvector's name is throughout this book. He opened the doors to a lot of things, but he was not a military doctor. He's from Germany. He worked on American military bases for like 20 years. He was an oncologist at Pennsylvania in the University of Pennsylvania. And then he left in his late 50s to go to Germany and became a biological doctor and came back in his late 60s. And all the way until he passed away around 78, he was helping people beat cancer naturally. Uh, we don't have him anymore. But he not only supported me and helped me beat the disease, he also went to my med board in Bethesda. And when I rolled in there with a fit rep from 206 is saying, these guys think that I should be retained. I'm here to talk about the leadership and the character stuff. But he's the doctor who can tell you everything I did about all this all natural stuff. I would like to just defer to Dr. Schilvector. It was amazing. And I was so impressed because these doctors, not the younger doctors that I was working with down in Pensacola. And when I say younger, the youngest of the doctors were very open to what I did alternatively. It was those kind of like the middle management doctors, the, the lieutenant commanders and the commanders. They didn't like me so much. They didn't like that I said, I'm going to do it my way. But then I got to these 06s that were actually at in DC and they listened to everything that Dr. Schilvector said. And for about three hours, they're just taking notes on legal pads, page after page, as he's just detailing all of this alternative stuff. And you could tell it was new to them and their eyes were wide open. They started like this, then they were like this. And after about 20 minutes, there's like, give me a pen. And they're just three hours. And at the end of that, they thanked him for his time. They said, well, they're taking notes on what might be a new way to cure cancer. That's kind of what I was hoping for. Well, we're 22 years down the road here, and uh, I have not seen Bethesda come around that far yet. In fact, I think it's worth mentioning there was at Bethesda itself, there was a CAMI, um, conventional and alternative medical something. 
And what it was was a group of doctors coming together with like, hey, how can the conventional and the alternative come together? And that was starting while I was there and then it vaporized. Now, I don't know if to their credit, they started something like that again 20 years later, but I know it had started to go down a certain path. My information was being delivered to them and then it just vaporized like it just went, yeah, no, we don't want to have anything to do with that. So, which is, wouldn't be my surprise. Well, so this is what I've seen from doctors then and now. They are very indoctrinated into their training. And you should not waver from the training we gave you or we will ostracize you. And the, so the, your, your example is, shows that in a very small way. It's one person. Look at what happened during COVID. We have every doctor on the planet minus 2% that are saying COVID is a pandemic, that there's no natural immunity. And we feel this strongly that we're going to fire doctors, nurses, firefighters, police officers, and a whole bunch of military members. So just look at nurses for a second. We have these nurses that worked in an environment that they thought might be death, this working on COVID for two years. Then they were told, if you don't get vaccinated, we're going to fire you. And in fact, they did lose their job. Now, very recently, the Marine Corps has reversed its calls, as has the Navy, and has decided that the whole vaccination thing is not worth kicking people out. So I think what we're going to find out at the end is there's some crow to be eaten. We shut our country down for two years. We fired a whole bunch of good people, and we did it in the name of politics. I mean, I can tell you now, I'm not vaccinated. I'm 60 years old. I'm healthy. I've had COVID twice, and it was, it was a nothing burger. It's the flu. And I can tell you, I've lost a few friends. Uh, I've lost a few physicians, all because I didn't come to the table and roll my sleeve up for this ridiculous COVID pandemic. So I know I'm going to change. So let's talk about the book for a second. If you want to read about this story, the book is Grounded and Cured. And David, tell us where they find that book online. Yeah, you can uh, go to my website, groundedandcured.com. And uh, if you go in there, there's a place where you can click book and you can see all 15 countries that were published in. So select your country and you can uh, order it right there. Also, you can go to amazon.com. You can go to barnesandnoble.com, any, any place that books are sold. But if you want to reach out to me personally, groundedandcured.com, and there's a place uh, where you can contact me, learn a little bit more about us and our ministry. But you can hit info and you can send me a direct email right from the website and I'll get back to you and uh, we can start a conversation. We've been using that to connect with other cancer warriors. We've also been using it to talk to other freedom warriors who've been standing up against the mandates and all of the other foolishness that's been going on and getting people good information uh, about therapeutics and you name it and just getting the truth out there during this fight. So if you're if you're listening to the podcast, I'd like you to go out and buy a book or 10. They make great gifts. The book is a story of perseverance, faith, and uh, a willingness to win. And if you look at the stakes in this game, the stakes are death. I mean, this, this is not something small where you're going to lose your money or, you know, uh, lose an arm. The stakes in this was the husband in this family is going to die. And he's going to leave a 29-year-old mom with four kids on her own. So all of these senior doctors, I don't care if they're civilian or military, most are military, we looked at this or they looked at this as just another case they were trying to work. Tromley looked at this as life or death. And he and his wife were smart enough to make the right decisions to beat it. 
So just a, the one part of the story that put a huge smile on my face was when he went back to Bethesda and said, by the way, I was right. I'm cured. And I'm about to start flying again. So this is a place where God funds what he favors. Yeah. And in this case, he definitely funded the Trombley family. So T-Bone, you know, I'm a big fan. I always have been. You, you're a lot younger than I am. Um, but in my world, I'm always looking for young leaders to help me. And you are at the top of that list. Con, you know, consistent leadership is the key. And through thick and thin, you never wavered. And, and I so much uh, appreciate that. And I applaud you and uh, honor you. I mean, it's just a, you were the, when, when death is the result, like the, the stakes are you die, the decisions you made were unbelievable. I, I don't know how many people would have the intestinal fortitude to tell a doctor, a really senior, you know, this dude's a cancer doctor. These are oncologists that I appreciate you, but I don't need your help because you're wrong. That's some large gonads right there. And I love it. And that's the way you live your life. And it, it and it's in today, you're living it the same way. In fact, we're doing this podcast a day late. And the reason is because T-Bone had a family to go do a funeral for. And at the funeral, they had a little issue and he, he solved it in one minute. And that, that's the, I mean, that's the T-Bone that I know and love. Okay. We got a few minutes ago. I'd like to transition now. Tell us what the fight is today. And uh, before I do that, if I can, I, just again, I got to say thank you. I appreciate all of that. And I, I, I definitely, your, your vote of confidence when I was a young captain and again today, uh, all these years later, means the world to me. So thank you for that. I do appreciate it. And uh, I will say this about everything you just said. And as I receive that, I have to say this. As Marines, we never go anywhere alone. You never send a Marine by himself, right? We don't send one Hornet downrange. You send two or four or six or 12. And so as I went through and you talk about having a pair of gonads, you got to realize that I had a wingman the entire time. And you have always been a champion of my wife, Megan, and been an encouragement. I am not here having this conversation with you and your audience. I don't know that I have that fortitude or that backbone without the fact that my wife stood with me and said, yeah, we can do this. If I had been by myself, I don't know that I would have done it, but Megan stood by me and it is a we story, not an I story. And even today in this fight, as we transition into this conversation, we look back and I go, I am here because of my wife. God give God all the glory. And that's what this book is about. And I give my wife all of the credit and all of the great leaders that stood with me and the doctors and the naturopaths, and they all get credit. All right. And I don't use this book as a tool to shred anybody that didn't support me. I just speak the reality that there was a lot of lack of support because others who are going through a fight will have opposition. So I give the good, the bad and the ugly and the reality of the emotional roller coaster. My challenge, if I could, before we shift into the last few minutes and talk about today's current fight, which you've already alluded to. If there's somebody out there that's listening that's currently dealing with cancer or if you're a veteran, who is dealing with post-traumatic stress and you're considering ending your life. You are, both of those are examples of individuals that as I wrote this book, I wanted to be able to reach and encourage. And, and here's what I would encourage. I would ask you to pray for peace. Pray for peace that you know you're on the right path. If you're trying to make a decision, ask for discernment. And once you have that discernment, ask for discipline because it wasn't Marine Corps discipline that got me across the finish line. It was a supernatural discipline to be able to make the decisions we made and the discernment 
and then to be able to actually execute, that was all a gift. The healing was a gift. The decision-making was a gift. The intestinal fortitude at those times and the level of faith, they're gifts. And I believe God will give those liberally and generously. You just got to you just gotta ask. So if those of you are out there that are in a fight, whether it's cancer or something else, lean into that fight and seek peace. And as you find that peace, you will find your path. So I'll throw that at you. Yeah, and we'll put at the on the on the on the podcast notes, we'll put all the information on how to contact you. Thank you. I appreciate that. One thing that we didn't have many, many years ago was a lot of medical conventional type medical personnel standing with us. Really interesting experience. I got to speak last month in St. Louis at the Gateway to Freedom rally. And this was a, a four-day event, and three of them had doctors, and one was just all military personnel, active duty, reservists retired, all who are fighting against the the illegal mandates that is forcing all these military people out, but also speaking the truth about the vaccine, about COVID, about how to fight it with therapeutics and all the things you can do to never have to walk into the hospital. And who are these doctors that were speaking? The former, you know, you have everybody there from radiologists to heart specialists to those folks who are um, doing autopsies you name it, you had all these folks, the surgeon, former surgeon general, and they're all saying, no, this is crazy. And this is what you need to know. And here's the truth. We shouldn't be vaccinating pregnant women. And so over this three or four day period, I had an opportunity to speak for about 20 minutes. And one thing that I got a chance to say was this. I looked at this audience of a couple hundred doctors and I said, I didn't have this 22 years ago, but I do have it today. I've got peers that are from the conventional realm that have now seen the light and realized there's more to it than just what they learned in medical school. There's all this other stuff on the outside. There's all of this natural stuff. And they're, they've embraced it, they recognize it, and they're on board with it. And I now have a lot of friends that are conventional doctors, but they're open to the alternative. And that's what it's going to take because we got to break the system and get folks out of just their, the rut of, well, if I get sick, I have to take this pill. Like, no, if you get sick, you might want to think of all these other things you can do to support your own body. So there's lots of options. There are a lot of options. And I don't tell people the cure for cancer is in this book. The cure for my cancer is in this book. But your cure for cancer may have 20% of this or 80% of that, plus a bunch more that you're going to find on your own. I went to Switzerland. And there's five chapters in that book that all about what's done in Switzerland you couldn't do in the United States. You realize there's about 20% of that we can now do in the USA. Still, most of it you can't, but you got to go down to Mexico. And there's great clinics in Mexico. And so that's what we do now. We network with folks and we help people find options and we kind of connect the dots. You asked a question, what's the current fight? Since um, September of last year, the current fight, when I'm not on the base training the next generation of aviators... Navy, Coast Guard, Marine Corps, when I'm not up there and we're not working with Lancer Warriors directly, which is what my wife and I, what our ministry has been for 20 years, we just speak truth and love and encourage. The time that I have left has been reserved to supporting the Marines in Pensacola that were grounded by the colonel down here, the very same command that I was in when I had cancer and the, the office of leadership, the colonel who supported me to fight cancer naturally and then get back into an airplane. The colonel that now sits in that that office, the previous colonel and now the one that's currently there, have these 10 Marines. It was 13 and now we're down to 10. We have 10 Marines that are currently grounded, unable to train. 
they're unable to get into an airplane. They've been grounded since September of last year. So I don't know when you're going to air this podcast, but essentially for exactly one year, they've been sitting around unable to fly. Why? Because they refused to take a non-FDA vaccine. And I hate to even call it a vaccine. They refused to take a non-FDA approved shot, an experimental vaccine. And they said, you can't mandate that. That is an unlawful order. And they had the moral courage to do that as lieutenants and captains. Are they back to flying now since the Marine Corps has reversed their view? No. And that's when you said that earlier, and I didn't mean to do it, but my body language shifted and I was just shaking my head. That has not happened yet. And I don't know that it's going to happen. I've had a lot of folks reach out to me in the last few days, send me messages on my phone showing me the report from different, you know, from Fox News, Epic Times, you name it, going, Marine Corps reverses its position. Okay, well, you have to go back and actually read the Almar that just got published that actually says what they will and will not do. These Marines are still not in an airplane. Now, I don't know if that's going to happen, but I believe until the leadership here puts those 10 Marines back into training, then these are just flowery BS, these articles that are being posted and that we see on the news. That's not what's really happening. They can't kick them out because Judge Meriday, in his decision just last month, prohibits the Marine Corps for kicking anybody out who put in for a religious accommodation. But that doesn't mean they're going to get put back into training. The Almar will determine whether they get trained or not. And as of right now, that isn't the case. So can they forward deploy and go overseas? Nope. All right? Can, are they anybody who missed a promotion? Are they going to get a premier look and get looked at again? Nope. That's not happening. Are these guys getting reinstated to training? Hasn't happened yet. And we, you know, we're about a month into this now. So when you ask what the yeah. present fight is, the present fight is we will not back off and we will not speaking this truth and we will not pre- stop pressuring the Marine Corps leadership until they reinstate these Marines and get them back into the cockpit. Yeah. So I think uh, I would encourage anybody listening that's that's agreeing with us to call your congressman and your senator and encourage them to put pressure on the armed services to release these folks that didn't get vaccinated and put them back into training. I think there's enough evidence now. I mean, there's plenty that shows this has been a ridiculous two and a half years of fiascos and a lot of money making for some folks at the top. So, all right, David, thank you so much for your time. I guess we're going to wrap this up. Do you have any last things you want to say? Yes, I do. If I can, I got some notes here that I wanted to just throw at you. This is what I shared up in uh, St. Louis, and this is what I've been sharing. Anytime I get an opportunity to either be interviewed or do a podcast on behalf of these Marines down in Pensacola. Number one, there's a uh, there's a Senate bill titled the Americans Act that is co-sponsored by 13 senators, Rubio and Scott from uh, from uh, Florida, as well as um, the original author being uh, Senator Ted Cruz. You've got a number of freedom loving, military supportive senators that are saying, we want to see this Americans Act get passed as soon as we have control of the the House and the Senate. So that's the Americans Act. There are a number of House resolutions. I'll give you one. If if your folks would get on the phone and reach out, Thomas Massey's bill has the most support right now. I believe they have a total of 73 co-sponsors, and that's pretty huge. And it is House Resolution 3860 from Representative Thomas Massey of Kentucky. And basically what it does is it prohibits the requirement for the members to get the vaccination, which we just saw that the military is kind of leaning away from. But there are some key definitions 
that are in that bill. And one of the definitions says the term adverse action includes retaliation, punishment, disparate treatment, requirement to wear a mask, requirement to reside in substandard housing. Not so you and I went through the basic school and uh, there are a number of Marines that are up in the basic school up in uh, up in the Quantico area. I believe it's 24 of them that are, have not been vaccinated that have basically been sitting idle for a long period of time. And their story is not any prettier than the one down here in Pensacola. Yeah, they're all over the place. They're, 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 it's not 10. It's not tens. It's probably thousands of military members that have been put on hold. It is thousands. And so just like I have been able to be a voice in Pensacola for these 10 there are retired Marines of all ranks, and there are folks that are advocating for these Marines, Navy, SEALs, Army, Coast Guard, all over the country. We're out there and we're, we're speaking up because they're not allowed to. If they speak, they get in trouble. So we're speaking up yeah. for them. So thank you for giving me a voice today and allowing. Ask your folks to support House Resolution 3860 and the Senate Americans Act. And don't wait until November 8th to vote. Make the phone calls now. Start priming the pump, vote in November 8th, and then after we win, continue to call them and go, you won because of us. Now pass this legislation and protect our troops. There you go. All right, uh, guys, y'all have heard it. Contact David. Uh, We're going to put his contact information on the podcast notes, or you can contact me. It'll also, our information will be there, and I'll put you in touch with him. Get into action. If you're out there thinking about it, get into action. Call your congressman. Call your senator. Let them know what you think and encourage them to vote your way or we'll vote them out of office. And uh, T-Bone, man, so much appreciate you coming on and spending some time with us. It's an unbelievable story of inspiration, faith, and success. And I'm, I am so happy that you're here to talk to me today uh, after going through this unbelievable situation you did. So I love you, my friend. Kiss Megan and the kids for me. Thank you and, again for uh, your we'll time. You soon. I can't wait for the next one. All right, brother. Hurrah. Out here. Take care. Bye-bye.